I want to read uh, to you from Exodus chapter 15. This is uh, something that I think we ought to consider. We ought to consider bragging on the Lord more than we do. Amen. I think the people in the scripture were really good about bragging on the Lord. How much time did you spend bragging on God this week? Ah. Turn around, tell your neighbor, say, you need to brag on Jesus. You're not supposed to brag about yourself, but you can brag on the Lord. So, and we should do that more. I think that's our call. When you read the book of Psalms, and not just the book of Psalms, but it's filled with bragging on God. Now, bragging on God comes from humility. Did you hear what I said? Bragging on God comes from humility because it comes from people usually who understand that they're made of the dust and that nothing good happens in their life unless it comes from Him. Amen. Amen. So, we know you got songwriters. They'll sit around for days, weeks, at a time, a lot of times. These people come up with this song right after they watch God destroy Pharaoh and his army. Now, these are some good songwriters, right? Come on. Of course, they were having help from the Holy Spirit, I'm sure. It says, Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord and spoke, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. And he's done that for us, right? The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. That word is the name for Jesus, Yeshua. He is my God. I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. Now, these are people who are not ashamed. They just watched. What's God done for you? That should cause you to want to praise. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank to the bottom like a stone. That's good, isn't it? What a song. The, your right hand. Who is the right hand? O Lord has become glorious in power. Your right hand. O Lord has dashed the enemy in pieces. He did that at Calvary. Almost 2,000 years ago, the New Testament said he made a show of him openly and exposed him and destroyed the work of the enemy and overcame death, hell, and the grave. He's worthy of some praise for that. Amen. Our enemy is in checkmate. He can only do what we give him access to. He's in checkmate. He's under the control of the Lord. And in the greatness of our excellence, you have overthrown those who rose against you. You sent forth your wrath. It consumed them like stubble. And with the blast of your nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The flood stood upright like a heap. The depths congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be satisfied on them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind. Whose wind is it? Now, how many times have you heard me say this? The weather is one place that God lets the world know who's still in control. Can I say it like a good old country boy? We can't do a darn thing about it. Amen. We, we can't control the snow. We can't control the temperature. We need this rain. Praise God for that. But he's the one that's in charge of the weather. And he lets us know that from time to time. He says... You blew with the wind, you covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Be like a child. Just tell God how it is. 
You don't have to be all sophisticated. They said, those guys went to the bottom like a stone. That's simple and simplistic, but it's good. Amen. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? That's a little g for those guys. Who is like you, glorious in wholeness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them, and in your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. God has called us to be seated in heavenly places with Him. Quit running around with the scoundrels and get up here where God's at. Amen. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Give Him praise. He's worthy. Let's brag on Jesus every chance we get. With your family. Have your children heard you brag on Jesus lately? How about your grandchildren? How about your neighbors? How about your co-workers? They heard you brag on Jesus lately? Tell them how good He is. How every good thing you have has come from His hand. From the Father of lights. Let's be the people that aren't ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God, the salvation to the Jew first and then to us Gentiles. We're thankful, Lord, that you sent your Son. Because there would be no reason for us to be here if you hadn't sent your Son. We're thankful for that. Let's give Him praise this morning. Amen. Before we dismiss the uh, Children's Church, here's the plan. We're going to eat here. We're going to have a baptism. If we've got anybody baptized after that, they go to the river, we will. Not this Wednesday, but next Wednesday, there'll be no Wednesday night service. So since all that's clean and ready, I'm going to be down there at 6 o'clock at the river. I'm going to, I might even have a robe like Jesus on. And I'm going to teach at the river. Not this Wednesday, but the following Wednesday. I'll have something good for you. Well, we're not having service here, all right? Children's Church is dismissed. Have a nursery next door. Two nurseries, actually. The rest of you can be seated. So that'll be the schedule. Want to praise God for what He's doing in our satellite. We had almost 30 folks there last Sunday night. I think they've had 21 women sign up for the women's study. Had 11 people show up for prayer. So the Holy Spirit's moving down there. We've got a guy to baptize. The Lord's done His work down there. So we're going to have a blowout service down there in July. Probably after we have service here, we'll go down there and have like a 4 o'clock service. So we'd like to take as many of you all with us as we could. Uh, we'll have a big tent set up outside on one of those vacant lots. We got the, I hate to say it, but it looks like we got the best spot in town down there too. That's how the Lord works. Amen. He's faithful to do that. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to, uh, I want to spend a little time in the Old Testament, Genesis uh, chapter 1, verse 26. Uh, I want to share a couple of things with you out of Genesis, and then we'll make our way into the New Testament. But uh, this is something that I've just alluded to a lot. I want to actually dig around into that uh, this morning. In Genesis uh, chapter 1, this is where everything kind of fell apart, uh, or shortly thereafter, uh, here in Gen- early in Genesis. But in verse 26, I just want to read this one verse in this chapter, and then we'll go to chapter 3. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. 
and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing uh, that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his image. Now there's an interesting statement being made there. God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness. So these are the two things I want to talk about before we move to chapter 3. The word image and likeness. Uh, He didn't just use one of these words. He used both of them. And so in in the Hebrew, I did as much study as I could do to get to the bottom of these. And I want to give you something I think will help you understand what God's saying there. The word image means to have a shadow or the appearance. It means to have a, a higher order. So we know that God made us higher than the animal. And here's the probably the best way. Made after the highest order. So our image, our order, we uh, here on earth, we have the highest order. And our order is made after the highest, which is God. So earthly, man has the highest order here out of God's creation. But our order was made from the highest order, which is God himself. So God said... Let us make man in our image. So God said, let's make him in our order. So we are the highest form of his creation here on earth. But we're not the highest form in the universe. That's God. right? But our order came from that order. You understand that? But he used another word here, likeness. And this word likeness in the Hebrew... Demuth means to be like, to represent God. And here's the word I liked when I saw this, uh, and this to model Him. Now, what happened in the garden? Uh, let's go over to chapter 3, and we'll, let's read a little bit here. Verse 1. Now, it says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, he's talking to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of the tree of the garden? So that's how the enemy works his way in. He starts questioning what God said. This is my problem with all the higher learning we see out in the world today. They're questioning God's authority. They've questioned creation. We just go right now. We've got to the place where we're okay. Not just here in America, but all over the world. Even Israel. We're okay with killing God's offspring before they even get out of the womb. Now, you and I are not okay. I understand that. But we have a culture. And I'll talk about the culture in a minute. That is okay with killing. Those children could not have any life if God wasn't involved. So God is the one who gives life. But now we live in a world, and America is one of the leaders in this, that we're okay with killing God's offspring. Those babies belong to God before they belong to us. Now I want to say this. Anybody under the sound of my voice, because I know this goes worldwide, we, you can be forgiven. It's not, we're not talking about forgiveness now. We're talking about our posture. Right? We've all sinned, but that don't mean we are okay with it. 
and that we shouldn't take a stand against it. It says, uh, so that's the, how the enemy comes in. He starts questioning the ways of God, right? He questioned here. He's questioning God's authority over them. He's, caused, he's trying to get Eve to question God's, what God has said, and she actually falls into that, right? And so she, and so here's his, then he starts laying all these lies on her. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. So her initial position is she takes a stand. She remembers what God has said. She takes a stand on that. But then the serpent comes back. How many knows the devil's persistent? He may back away, but he'll make another run at it, right? And then he says, Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open. That's a lie, right? That they're not going to die because he told them they would. So, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So now, and this is how the devil works on all of us. He gets us to feeling like we've been slighted or we've been cheated. And he'll do that even with God, right? Sometimes he does that with people, right? But sometimes he does that with God. God, basically what he's doing here with Eve, he's saying, God's holding out on you. He's not letting you be all you can be. You're withheld. He's holding you down because he knows if you eat of that tree, you're going to be like him. Now, always remember this. Whatever the devil's trying to talk you and I into doing that's against God's word, that's how he's fulfilling his lust. He's wanting, because that was his desire, remember? Before he got through out of heaven, he said, I want to be like the most high, right? That was his desire. So he lost that battle. Jesus said, I watched him fall like lightning. That meant he got through out quickly. Really quickly he got through out. And so he, he lost that battle. So now, anytime you and I anticipate or consider sinning and follow through sinning, we're actually letting Satan fulfill his lust through us. That ought to turn us off a little bit. And it says, For God knows that in that day you eat of this, your eyes will be opened, you will be like God, knowing uh, good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, right? The devil works on the senses, on the fleshly side of us. And the, free, and, and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Now, lot, some things we don't know here. Uh, if Adam knew exactly what he was eating there at this moment. But the eyes of both of them were open. They knew they were naked and they sewed uh, fig leaves together and made themselves covering. So it did give them enlightenment, whatever that is. And they began to sew the fig leaves to cover themselves. They had no understanding of evil and wrong until this happened. And he heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam, his wife, Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. First time they'd done that. They ran and hid from the Lord. And that's what happens, right? If you come in here and you're a believer and you fell into sin this week, it's awkward a little bit if you've not repented and moved on from that. It feels a little awkward to want to praise God, worship God, come into His presence. 
And so that's why, as we've shown you the tabernacle, the first thing you see is that brazen altar when you get in there. God wants you to clear up any matters you have between Him and you so you're not in a position of not receiving. You're not put in that position where you're not receiving from God. So you get that stuff off of you. But it's an awkward position, right? And let's, let's be real. Everybody in this building at one time or another has gossiped. Maybe you've said something about somebody or to somebody that you regretted. And it's awkward, right, when you see them. Feels awkward. I think I've told this story before, but I got into a little bit of a, a conflict with a brother who don't go to church here and don't even live in this area. And when I was worshiping, it's been a couple, three, four years ago, when I was worshiping, I knew that was on me, right? And I couldn't worship. So I left this sanctuary, got my cell phone, called that brother and asked him to forgive me. Because the Bible says if, you got, if your brother's got something against you, to leave your gift at the altar and go make it right and come back. And so I thought, I need to practice what I preach. I, I couldn't get through in my worship. Anybody ever had that experience? Am I the only one that's ever sinned in the church? Well, then all you get up here and I'll go sit down there. Uh, and there's no justification. God don't give us the justification, right, to be the judge. We're not the judge. We just need to do what he's asked us to do, right? And it's hard to push through those moments. So they're, they're awkward now. Everything's awkward. They're, they've run and hid from the Lord. Uh, and then God uh, called to Adam and said, where are you? That's singular. He wasn't looking for Eve. He was looking for Adam. Now, Dad, you may let your wife take the lead, but that's out of order. If God comes to your house to put things in order, He's coming to you first, Daddy. You're the one that has the priest's lead in the home. He's coming to you and me first. You may let things be out of order in your situation, but that's not how God's going to do it. He's, he's got a specific order. It's got nothing to do with who God loves the most. He, he put everything in order, and we've certainly messed that up to the point now we got people who don't even know which bathroom to use. But it started because we keep getting things out of order. Now, I could preach here all day. We could not even have a picnic. But you, that's what causes the chaos. And that's what, what's led to all this gender confusion and all this other evil sexual immorality we see in our country because we got our roles confused. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not ashamed to preach anything in this book because it's not mine. It's the guy, excuse me, it's the God who created everything. Every one of us, including you that are listening to me that are not even born again, you're going to stand before him someday. And he's not going to judge you based on what Harvard said or what the Republicans said or the Democrats said. He's going to judge you based on what He said. 
He's not going to judge you based on what I say. Or some priest, and I'm going to say this loud and clear, or not even the Pope. He's going to judge you based on what He said. Let's give Him praise. Amen. So the reason we've got generations with confusion about sexuality and gender is because we've got all the roles confused. And we've got fathers not doing their job. We've got mothers trying to do the dad's job. Come on now. We, we got all... I didn't make myself a man. God's the one done that. He made male and female. Amen. He didn't, he didn't shortchange women when he made you a woman. Come on now. I'm going to preach here in a minute. There's nothing more bonding and beautiful than a woman and a newborn baby. I, I don't get to have that same experience that a woman. That you've got beautiful things that go on in your life just like maybe a man has in his life. Just stay in your lane, dude. We got a God that knew what he's doing. The more we mess things up, the more we're telling God, you don't know what you're doing. We're no more than you are. We're smarter than you. But the Bible says that his foolishness is greater than any of our greatest wisdom. Amen, Amen to that. So, she gets talked into this. Adam falls in line, however he fell in line. When God come to him in verse 9, he says, where are you? It's singular, not plural. Same thing in verse 11. It's singular again. He said, who told you? He's talking to Adam. Now, everybody says what the preacher thinks. I think Adam might could have covered his wife if he would have done his job. But he didn't, for whatever reason. But here we go. We got a mess on our hands now. And all of us are born into sin because of that right there. All of us are born into sin. And that's why I want to take you to the New Testament and show you how this works out. I'm going to be in a tough passage of Scripture here in just a moment. But let me, let me share a couple of things with you. It says, what happens... I want to ask you this question. What happens when we wholeheartedly accept the world as our teacher and identify, identify giver? In other words, what happens when we let the world be our teacher and give us our identity? Now, most of the people in the world do that. They let the world be their teacher, and they let the world give them their identity. Right? Right? You're more than whatever your title is to God. Right? And in the body of Christ, you're a brother and sister. You're a, whatever you are. You're more than whatever your vocation is. Your vocation might identify you in certain circles, but that's not how God sees you and I. He sees us as his sons and his daughter. And if he made you a son, he had a good reason for that. And if he made you a daughter, he had a good reason for that. We just sang about that. We just sang about how his ways are higher than our ways. And I like my wife. I'm glad Amy's a woman. I love her. I love what God did in her and bringing her to me. It was a beautiful thing. And so God knows what He's doing. And remember this, whoever you agree with, and you'll be tempted to do this, whoever you agree with that they're okay against God's Word, you are saying to that person that God didn't know what He was doing, so you fix it, buddy. That's what we're saying. 
when we agree with things that are totally against God's Word. It doesn't have to be sexual issues. It could be all kinds of things. But whenever you give leeway and come into agreement or justify something that is against God's Word, you're saying to that person, I agree with you, God didn't know what He was doing when He made you. He messed up somewhere. Well, I want to tell you right now, the Bible says God can't do any wrong. The Bible says God can't tell a lie. He don't make mistakes. Everything He does is right. Can you say amen to that? Now, if we let the world be our teacher and our, our identify, give us our identity, then what happens? What dynamic is set in motion the moment I buy into that? Here's what happens. And you all got, we all got to guard against this because we can be affected to this in part of our life if we're not careful. When we let the world be our teacher and give us our identity, here's what sets in motion. What the world sets as the standard for success, identity, and achievement, and life. That's what we buy into. We let the world define what's the best. And when that happens, we start going into deception. When we allow the world to identify us, I'm not, to God, I'm not even, I'm more than a preacher to God. I'm His Son. I have value to Him as His Son. In fact, if I lose my voice this very second and cannot preach for the rest of my life, I would lose no value to God because I'm His Son. And He would love me as much without my voice as He does with my voice. So then uh, the other thing I want you to think about, then my life, once that happens, once I let the world be the standard, and the one that teaches me and gives me identity, once I allow the world to do that instead of God, then I've, I've started my trek into deception, and then my life is manipulated by the ways and demands of the culture and not led by the Holy Spirit. And that's what our children face as they go up through school and into college. That's what they face. They face the temptation of being like the world because the world looks like it's working. But the reason it looks like it's working in some sense is because they're only living for now. We're living for something beyond this. And how many of you crossed the 50 mark and realized this world, this, it really is a vapor here. You're just passing through. And so once their life is manipulated by the culture in that way where they are our teacher, where the world's our teacher and defines our identity, then we get in trouble. And we start pursuing the same things they do. We want what we want. There's a psalm that says God gives us the desires of our heart. Get into that a little deeper and you'll find that God wants to put His desires into our heart. That's the people He's looking for. The people that have His desires in their heart. But we want what we want. Once we buy into the fact that the world is our standard and our teacher and gives us our identity, then we start playing like they play. If you read the New Testament, and I, I, if you watch The Chosen, they've done a pretty good job of, of showing people sacrificing 
and being put out. I want to ask you, when's the last time you changed some of your plans for God? We'll change them for other stuff because we want what we want. But when's the last time you changed your schedule for the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit said, I need you to stay home from work today and pray all day. I need you to not do that with your children today because I've got another assignment for you today. That's one of the things I've noticed by watching some of those chosen shows, how interrupted their lives became by the Holy Spirit. But we got our life figured out because we bought into the framework of the world. So a lot of times Christians have the same kind of framework as the world does. We're not allowed out of that box. Because if we get out of that box, we'll be different. People will think we're crazy. They already do. Every Now, now think about this. I think this is true even right now in this very moment. Every society suffers from a we have finally arrived syndrome. Well, we're better than they were in Babylon. We're better. We got more stuff. Every society suffers from a we have finally arrived syndrome. I got this from a monk. In which the attitudes, achievements, and, uh, and opinions held by that society are given colossal significance. Isn't that true? We think we're smarter than the last generation. But I think we've come to a time where we're coming into a time where the people that know how to can green beans may be smarter than anybody that goes to Harvard. <laughs> Intelligence is relevant, right? Because you may have somebody very smart in this area that don't know a thing about planting corn. And if the world's starving, the guy who's planting corn is the smartest guy in the room. So it's relevant. I learned that from a lot of my ancestry who didn't go, get to go to school. How many of you in this room know which plant to go get in the mountains if you get bit with a rattlesnake? And to eat. Nobody in this room probably knows that. I don't even know it. I just remember I'm talking about it. I'm not that smart. Some of those people didn't go to school or smarter than me. I don't even know. I, don't rem I remember using it, but my grandmother, who went to the sixth grade, knew which plant to get to bull off when we got poison ivy, and we got it a lot because we played in the mountains all the time. And she knew which plant to bull off to put on our poison ivy to make it go away. We didn't get calamine or whatever that was we she went and got a plant bulled it off and that's what we put on our poison ivy pretty intelligence also it didn't cost a penny so intelligence is relevant right if you're in a foxhole you don't need a lawyer you need a guy who's good with a gun a man of war. Right? If you're in surgery, 
You don't need a Wall Street guy. You need somebody who's been trained to do that. So every society suffers from this. We finally arrived, and our, our society is the colossal. It's just, we're on top. But if you'll notice what's happened, we've made some great advances technologically wise, but there's so much of the fabric of this country that's eroding badly. It's horrible what's eroding. And what's worse, what's the worst thing is now we've trained whole generations to not lean on God, but to trust in themselves. What's the Bible say? Lean not into your own understanding. Now, let's go to Romans chapter 7. Let's look at verse 7. Uh, a little backdrop before we got into verse 7. Paul's talking about what happens when a husband or wife dies, how that, that person's free from that obligation and they're free to marry another. This is not his... This is not, Paul's teaching on marriage, that's in Corinthians, but he's making an illustration here about how the law versus the new covenant works. And, and, and I'm going to pick up after he's explained that, how a husband could die or a wife could die and how they can be free. He says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? That's the question that come out of that. He says, certainly not. On the contrary, I would not. Now, I'm going to read through this. Just follow me and I may stop pointing some things out because this is some uh, choppy water, if I can say it that way. He said, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness until the law had said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. Now notice what happened. Once that knowledge came out of that tree, right? What Adam and Eve do? They said, uh-oh, you're naked, Adam. And he said, you're naked too. They said, let's go get some fig of the loom underwear and put it on. That's my phrase. Nobody's, I'm coined that. And when I get time, I don't have time preaching, but someday when I slow down, I'm making a new line of underwear. <laughs> fig of the loom. Uh, nobody's allowed to steal that. Nobody around the world or anything, because I'll sue you. <laughs> Unless you're my brother. If you're my brother, I'll let you do all the work and take part of the credit. <laughs> Uh, he said, you should not covet, but sin taking opportunity. So what basically happened was, Paul said, I was okay until I understood what sin was. We, try to, we say things like age of accountability, people come into the knowledge of it. And so when I'm talking to somebody, that, that's a child that wants to be baptized, I want to make sure they understand the difference between right and wrong and they know what's happening. And so Paul said, that happened to me, right? So when the law came, he said, I realized what, that those things were wrong. And I, sometimes I'll have an illustration. I don't have any money. I don't have any money right now because my daughter got married this year. <laughs> but if I, if, I, if I had a $5 bill and dropped it right here, and all of you saw me drop it, and if you are an adult and you pick that up, that would be wrong for you not to return that to me. But if there's a one or two or three-year-old, whatever, they come up here and find it, they pick it up, it wouldn't be wrong for them to keep it. They don't understand that, right? Because they, it don't have any value to them anyway. They may flush it down in the toilet, throw it in the trash, rip it in two, eat it. Who knows what they'll do with it, right? 
because it has no value to them. But some point in that child's life, and it can happen sooner for some children than others, depending on the kind of environment they're raised in, right? Some children will come to the understanding of right and wrong maybe sooner than others. But at some point, people come into that knowledge of what's right and wrong, and so now they become accountable. And that's what Paul's talking about here. He said, I, I was alive once without the law, right? Fine. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. So now, right, I realize that was wrong. When that happens in your life, that's when you become accountable. All right? And he says, and the commandment which was uh, to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin taken occasion by the commandment deceived me, and by it killed me. Therefore the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and just and good. So the law was doing its job by exposing the problem, but what the law couldn't do, remember Paul said this, God did by sending His only Son. So if, if you get on our YouTube channel, there's like a 15-minute clip or so about, it's called the x-ray clip. That's what the law does. The law exposes the problem. It's like an x-ray. If a doctor takes an x-ray of something, the x-ray don't fix the problem. It just exposes the problem. Okay? When that happens, then the great physician comes by. What Isaiah called Jesus the great physician. He comes by and he can fix the problem. Just like at a, at a doctor or a surgeon. They may x-ray that. They'll find, diagnose the problem. Then the, the doctor, the x-ray can't fix the problem. The doctor has to come and fix the problem. So that's how the law is given to us. It's handed off. It can do its job. And the x-ray is necessary. Can you imagine a world without x-rays? We don't really know what's going on inside. We're just going to cut you up and see what we find. Can you imagine going to the doctor and hearing that? No x-ray machine, nothing to identify the problem. And I guess there were days like that back in those times, right? Uh, but you imagine that would take, it takes more of the guesswork out, right? We're just going to have to cut you open. Find, my stomach's hurting. Well, we're just going to have to cut you open and see what's going on in there, right? Instead of looking around and saying, hey, you know, we think we've identified the problem so we can be precision. That's how the Lord is. That's how the Holy Spirit is. He knows you precisely. That's why when that woman come to the well, she said, he said, go get your husband. Jesus knew what he's doing. He don't look for answers with questions. He actually, the reason he asked questions is to give us a chance to come clean. When he asked where Adam was at, do you think he knew where Adam was at? He knew where he was at. He was just giving Adam a chance to come out and say, hey, I'm right here. We messed up. So Jesus said to the woman, said, where's your husband? She said, I ain't got one. He said, well said. He said, but you've had six husbands. Or five, and you're living with a guy now? He was like, uh-oh. She's like, oh. But like a masterful surgeon, he opened her up, did surgery on her spiritually. She got so excited and so clean and so healed that she left her water pot and ran off to tell everybody else. That's the work of the Lord. The Holy Spirit takes God's Word, identifies that problem, and then brings... Jesus into that problem. So it says, uh, has then what was good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin that it might appear sin was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal. Right? Why? Because I got sold into slavery by Adam and Eve. 
Again, I don't have any stones to throw at Adam and Eve. I've seen enough out of my life to know I'd have blown it in the garden too. So I'm not getting stones to throw at them. I'm just saying that's how it all came about. But I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. Right? Think about this. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. Now, he says, but now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I, Because sin gets identified by the law, right? For I know that in me that is in my flesh nothing good dwells, right? You and I, that was the problem the Jews had. And some of my closest friends are Jews, and some of them are still Orthodox Jews. They don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah because they're blinded. They've been blinded for our sakes, according to Paul in this same book, who was a Jew himself. But there, there's no inherent... Goodness because you were born a certain race or in a certain people. We're all born into sin. And that's what Paul's saying. Doesn't matter what color your skin is. Doesn't matter which side of the tracks you grew up on. You we're all born into sin. For I know that in me that is in my flesh nothing good dwells. For the will is present with me. But how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do I do not do. But the evil I will not to do that I practice. Now... This is used a lot of times as an excuse for people to do wrong and to keep doing wrong. That's not what he's teaching here at all. Not at all. Because I'm going to clear that up for you. He says, now if I, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. That's the problem, right? He identified it. He said, when I'm living like this, when I'm doing things I don't want to do, when I don't do things I want to do, he said, sin's working inside of me. That's what's causing that to happen. Now, let me take you back to chapter 6. Just flip back over to chapter 6. Look at verse 12. He's already talked about this in, verse, in the preceding chapter. He says, that he gives us some advice. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. All right, I'm gonna come, let's hold your page. We'll flip back and forth with this. What did he say? He said, I pra he said verse 19, For the good I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I, do, I will to do, that I practice. Now, if I, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Right? That's what he said. So he did what? He x-rayed the problem. He identified it. Are you with me so far? This is, these are tough passages. Even Peter said Paul wrote things that are hard to understand. Remember that? So he's saying, I'm identifying the problem. He's not saying this is how you're to live as a Christian. It's not what he's saying. He's not saying this is our lot, that you're just going to have to tough it out. You're going to sin all the time, and you're going to... No, that's not what he's saying. Look at verse 12 back in chapter 6. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. That's instruction we were given. If we, listen now, if we find ourselves in that spot in chapter 7, then what he's done for us is saying, it's sin working in you. It's not just you had a bad day. See, the reason people don't get over things, they do not identify the real issue. Now, I'm going to say something here that's going to be hard, but you better eat it. You can have unforgiveness in your life, and it will open the door to the devil to do all kinds of other things in you. And you may be looking at those other things thinking, well, that's not who I am. How's that happen? It's because there's a root of sin. Now, listen. It's not that sin that does you in. 
If you go to 1 John, there's a difference between the guy or the gal who sins and repents and moves on. But if you read the whole book of 1 John, you will find the problem that people have is those who practice sin. The Bible says, and there's three or four lists in Corinthians, Galatians, Revelation. There are three or four lists, maybe another in Ephesians, where God says those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So the issue for you and I is not that we are, we're all going to sin and we need to repent and move on. But the problem that Paul's identifying here is the people who let sin hang around. I got one that's right. Now, I'm, I'm trying to be real with you, but this will help you if you understand it. I'm going to give you a way out. I got taught this early when I started preaching. I said, if you have to preach hard stuff, said, before you quit, give them a way out. I'm going to give you a way out. Right? If I take you down the valley, I'm going to bring you up on the other side. So just hang on. One of, uh, one of those old southern gospel people, went, that a friend of mine had her, Billy Jean Robinson in to sing, and he's a good friend of mine. She said, you think they'll like my singing? She, he said, yeah, they'll love your singing. said, there's a lot of country folk down here in Florida in our church. He said, but just don't leave us in the valley. <laughs> sing us out of the valley. <laughs> so I'm going to get you out of the valley in just a minute, but I want to identify this problem. Practicing sin is what will do you in. There's not a person in this building that's not going to fail from time to time. All of us are going to sin. The Bible says the righteous man may fall seven times, but he gets up all seven times, right? So you repent and move forward. But it's when we allow sin to reign, to stick around, to have a place in our life. Now remember what I shared a couple Wednesday nights ago, and I'm going to share it to you now. In Hebrews, the Bible says, if they had... uh, called to mind the place from where they came from. He was talking about Israel when they came out of Egypt. Egypt represents our old life, right? Sin. He said if they called to mind from which they came, he said they could have returned. And the Bible, that word in the Greek there, that phrase means if they would have kept it as an option. Right? In other words, if the Hebrew children would have kept it as an option, they could have returned to Egypt. In other words, you need to have decided yesterday, you're not going back. No matter what comes your way. You're not going back. And if Job can make it, you can make it. We got no excuses. So we're not turning back no matter what the devil. We may have to fight. We may get, our, we may get, our, uh, get a few punches from Satan coming our way. But we refuse to quit. We refuse to turn back. Now, he goes on to say here in chapter 12 of verse 6, he says, And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. This is, how, this is part of the way of victory right here. But present yourselves to God as being alive from dead and your members as instruments of unrighteousness to God. For sin, here he says it, shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. So when he gets in chapter 7, he explains the whole process, but he's not giving us an excuse to stay in our sin. In chapter. That's not what he's doing. He just told us in chapter 6, don't be doing this. 
Don't let sin hang around. That word present is the Greek word parastano. I shared it this week in some setting. I'll give it to all of you again. It means the setting up of something. In other words, parastano in the Greek means how you set your life up. So the best Christian is not the one that thinks they're the strongest person in the room and they can deal with anything. The, the most successful Christian is the one who knows their weaknesses and guards against it. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about set your life up in such a way that you are guarding against the pitfalls the enemy has for you. Set yourself up to practice righteousness and not to practice unrighteousness. He said, don't let sin reign your mortal body. I'm almost done. Give your neighbors some good news. He's almost done. Now let's go back to chapter 7. He said, I find the law that evil is present with me, the one that wills to do good. In verse 21, for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? So his question is, who's going to get me out of this dilemma? He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's who. That's who gets him out. How does he get him out? He teaches him how to set up his life to succeed. Now I'm going to tell you something. You got a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we will get you a Bible. Everybody needs a Bible. I'm okay with a Bible app, but you still need a Bible. You need a Bible. It's, you just need something you can lay your hands on. And we'll get you a Bible, and if you can't afford it, we'll give it to you, whatever. Your, the Word of God or your Bible is called a sword for a reason. You stepped into the battle. When you got saved. This is a sword. Every new convert needs a sword. You need a sword. And you need to get in it. And because faith comes by hearing and hearing of the Word of God. So he, the, he says, this is, this is going on. He says, I see another law bringing in captivity the law of my mind. Who's going to deliver me? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's his answer. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. If you're, going, if you're going to live after the flesh, right? Keep going. There was no chapter here in the original writing. So sometimes Eusebius and his boys in the early church put these chapters in. I have a problem with that, but sometimes we lose the train. The, thoughts, the thought keeps right on going. He says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Don't stop there. A lot of people just quote the first end. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. There's the transition. Who gets you out of that dilemma? The Lord Jesus Christ. How does He get you out of that? By saving you and giving you the Holy Spirit. That's how He gets you out of that. Then you have a responsibility to set your life up for success in the spiritual realm. And then He says that we don't walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. How many of you have been saved for a while and you found yourself at a time walking after the flesh? There is content, right? You feel condemned then. That's why he went on to say what he said. He said, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So that's the challenge. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from what he'd just been talking about, right? It's made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son the likeness of sinful flesh. In other words... You and I can't keep the law. Now the Holy Spirit has come. Jesus has come. Uh, we now live under grace. But it, the standard didn't drop. 
right? The standard, but my strength grew. My strength outgrew the issue, thanks to Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. So if people think the standard dropped from the Old Testament to the New Testament, they missed it. Because Jesus said we could murder somebody with our tongue. The Old Testament don't say that. It's just flat out straight murder. Jesus said you could murder somebody with your tongue. Jesus said we commit adultery with our eyes and never do it with our body. That's not dropping the standard. That's taking it up a notch. But what happened was, because of the work of Jesus on the cross, because of His resurrection, because of the gift of the Holy Spirit, now you and I have more power to overcome the work of the flesh. We're not doing this on our own. And that's how this whole thing's brought out. Paul's not giving anybody a license to sin here. That's not what he's doing at all. He's trying to give us, show us the victory. He says, for what the law couldn't do, it was weak through the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on the account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. There's the transition. Once you start walking, and when you walk according to the Spirit, and I'm talking to Christians, when you walk according to the Spirit, your life will get interrupted at times. If your schedule's not been interrupted in the last two years, you're not paying attention. Because the Lord interrupts us. And that's what He's talking to us about, availability. For those who live according to the flesh set their mind, now listen, those who live according to the flesh set their mind on things of the flesh. Now remember what I said about the culture. If you buy and let the culture be your teacher and give you our identity, you'll structure your life just like the world that's going to miss heaven. we got to guard against that. For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. This is why, and I'm not there yet, but this is why John Wesley is one of my heroes. The way he lived his life. It's very challenging how he lived his life. When he got to the end of every year, he gave everything he had away monetarily and started from scratch every year because he wanted to live by faith. Now, I'm not saying God's calling everybody to do that, but that's challenging. That's challenging to think what little requirements maybe God's asked of us by faith and we can't, and we can't throw an extra $50 in the offering plate. I'm not, I'm not preaching. I'm not preaching on Malachi. Don't get quiet on me. But I'm just saying the challenge here of living by faith, of being totally available and living out by faith. He says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is in me against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But yet we know we can. So the, don't take these passages and think, Paul's just living a miserable life and looks like we're all glad to be That's not what he's saying. He's saying you can have victory over this, but you can't live in the flesh. can't walk after the flesh. But you are not in the flesh. Hey, good word. But in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if it is Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But, the, but if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you by the Spirit put, death, put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Go back to Romans 6 and 12. Set yourself up 
to succeed with God. Whatever that means. I had a friend who got saved. He was an alcoholic. He worked in the mines. And the store he went to to get lunch stuff or stop on the way out of the mines every day sold alcohol. So he changed stores and started going to a store that didn't sell alcohol. Smart man. Smart man. He's setting himself up to succeed, wouldn't he? Smart guy. You got it. Sometimes you have to cut avenues off. You have to do things that you know that would cause you to stumble or go backward. Whatever that means to your life. Everybody has different weaknesses. Everybody faces different battles. But set yourself up to succeed. He says, uh, he says, For many are led by the Spirit of God, are the sons of God. You did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. So see, you're not supposed to live there, but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if the children heirs, heirs of God join heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. And I'm going to read one more verse. Listen closely to you Christians. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now, I'm going to say something here, and I, I don't think it'll catch most of you off guard, but there are, there are folks who preach a message that Christians, if you're really living right, you're not going to face any adversity or have any hard times. Well, that's just not true. How many of you have been saved more than a day? <laughs> You figured that out, right? What did the Bible say? Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord shall deliver him out of them all. You're going to face adversities. You're going to face trouble. But don't let it beat you up. Don't let it get you down. Because what you're going through, the suffering you're going through, will be worth all the glory that's coming our way. None of us are exempt from suffering. In fact, suffering does some good things in our lives at times. I've got a little, another little 10-minute clip about suffering on there. On our YouTube channel. You, we, God, we, we're allowed to suffer sometimes. What Peter say, and I preached this a few weeks ago. He that suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Suffering has a way of cleaning us up. So God takes us to new levels, right? And it doesn't matter what you face, what wars against you. The devil uses different tactics on all of us. But whatever wars against you and I, the Lord sometimes uses hardship, allows hardship, so that He can move us on up and graduate us from that season in our life. Let's stand to our feet. You guys come to the instruments. This is uh, something we all have to guard against. How are you trained? What trains you? What are you manipulated by? What things do you have exposure to that cause you to not trust in God, that interferes with your faith or with you pleasing God? Maybe it causes you to get in the flesh. What kind of things in your life would do that? So here's what I want to say to you. If you're a believer and you've got this sin or this issue like Paul said in Hebrews, I believe Paul wrote Hebrews concretely, but it doesn't matter who wrote it, the Holy Spirit gave it to us, that lay aside every weight and sin 
that so easily beset you and run your race with hupomene. The word we translated patience means consistency. Be consistent. Run your race with consistency. Lay aside weight and sin. I grew up in an era, era where, where they had ankle weights. I, maybe they still do. Anybody remember getting ankle weights? That was a big deal. And we would, the coach would make us wear ankle weights, weight us down, and then make us carry medicine balls. Anybody know what a medicine ball is? That when they throw it, knocks you down. <laughs> and run with a medicine ball and ankle weights. When you laid that stuff down, you felt like Superman. Because of the weight of all that, how it held you back. The Lord wants you to run and run well. He don't want any weights in our lives. He don't want any sin reigning or hanging out in our lives. He wants you and I to be able to run without any distractions. Without any hindrances. So let's lay those things down this morning. You don't have, I don't care what you face. Battle in the sense of you don't have to identify that with me. That's between you and God. But just if you need to drive a stake in the ground this morning. And say, I'm, from this day forward, I'm going to set myself up to succeed in that and not fail there anymore. Then drive that stake in the ground this morning. Come into this altar. Take your stand and say, today's the day. I'm driving that stake in the ground. I'm setting up this stake. I'm moving forward. I'm going to set myself up to succeed. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for this moment. Whatever it is, maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe it's anger or greed or lust. Whatever besets people. Fear. Worry. A weight. A sin. Something that they finally, today's their day to let go of it. Today's their day to lay it aside. Somebody watching, somebody in this building, somebody getting this podcast this week. Today's your day. When you hear His voice, do not harden your heart like they did in the wilderness. Come do your business with God. Do you need to lay something down at His feet? I tell you, that woman, that day when she cried, broke the alabaster box all that stuff in the natural was just a picture of what she was really laying at her feet from the inside at his feet she was laying all her sin all her guilt and all her shame and the expression of that was seen with her tears and the ointment Pour it all out. Give it all to Jesus. Lay it down at His feet. Whatever you need to lay at His feet this morning, come and do it. Don't wait on somebody else.